So good to have you all here. Some returning faces we haven't seen in a while and some new faces uh, here to the Newman Center. First, just let me, Father Connor, welcome you on behalf of Father Tim, the Focus Missionaries, our staff, uh, everyone here at Newman, uh, back to school. It's really great. To, and to start the school year at this altar, giving thanks to God and asking for his blessing, asking for his grace um, to follow him more closely this year in the various ways that he's called us to live, either as students or um, staff or working or studying, um, that we do it for the Lord. And everything starts and ends here at this altar in this Eucharist. It's such a gift to, to be here with you celebrating. I have to say I was um, a little irked that this was the gospel for the first Sunday uh, of the school year. This is a gospel that gets under my skin, I have to confess. As someone, and maybe you sympathize with me, getting louder. <laughs> As someone uh, who maybe you're like me, fears rejection. Uh, this woman, this Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus to ask, not for a little favor, not for something that's just like, it would make my life a little bit more convenient if you could do this for me, Jesus. No, my daughter is tormented by a demon. Could you please help me? Jesus' response is so enigmatic, so mysterious. Because we know Jesus from the other Gospels. You know, how generous he is, how, how much he looks out for the stranger, um, praises the faith of those uh, people who have the courage to come to him and ask for favors. This one, he is silent. He doesn't say anything to her request. And then the, the apostles are like, can, can you get this woman out of here? She's irritating us. She's annoying us with her neediness. And Jesus seems to approve and says... Yeah, I was sent for the lost sheep of Israel. She's a Canaanite. She's a pagan. She's not a Jew. So she has to wait in line. And then when she comes and just begs him, Lord, please help me. And he gives us this, maybe one of the most scandalous lines in the whole Bible. He says, it's not right to give the food of the children to the dogs. Now, hear this also, like in the year 30 AD in the Middle East, not the year 2023 in the West Loop. Dogs are not exalted in this culture in any way. Even to us, it sounds like an insult, but we like, really like dogs and spend a lot of money on them. Them, most of the world, still to today, thinks of dogs as just kind of, they eat the scraps, they're kind of mangy, they're kind of gross. Maybe some of them are our pets, but for the most part, dogs are, are to be ignored. They have fleas, they're, they're no good. Um, and she responds and says, Lord, even the dogs eat the scraps. Can I just have some attention, some of your favor? And then he praises her. Great is your faith, woman. What you've asked for, you'll receive. And then she gets it. Her, her daughter is cured. But why that gets under my skin, personally, is that what it feels like is um, my need is really annoying. You know, It's really inconvenient for me to need something right now. Even though it would be relatively easy for you to give it to me, apparently for Jesus it's not that hard. He snaps his fingers. What you want is given to you. Why did it take so long? Why was it so irritating? Why did she have to humiliate herself so much? Why does she have to feel like the least important person in the room? And then once she acknowledges it, once she says, yeah, you're right, I'm just a dog, like, fine, okay, good job. You've realized it. Now you can have the scraps. 
Okay, I'm just being honest. That's why that gets under my skin, because it feels a little weird. It doesn't feel like the Jesus I know and who loves me and who, who knows me. So there must be something going on here different than what it seems. And if you look at another gospel, very similar, a little different context, but also a, a pagan, the centurion who needs help for his daughter or his slave who's, uh, who's sick, um, and he asks Jesus for this favor. And he says, but Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house, but just say the word and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus similarly says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. What you've asked for, you'll receive. There's something that just unlocks God's grace somehow in this acknowledgement of A, my unworthiness, but B, God's power and willingness to heal. Even think about the way that we come into Mass. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you, and with your spirit. Let us acknowledge our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate these sacred mysteries. The first thing we do is we get down on our knees, spiritually speaking, and just ask for mercy. Say, Lord, we're not worthy to be here, but you've called us here. You want us here. And as we come here with humble and contrite hearts, grace and healing and power is unlocked for us. Um, there's something in this hunger that both in the, in the Canaanite woman, in the centurion, and anyone who comes to Jesus with a sincere heart, these lepers, these prostitutes, the woman caught in adultery, these, these people who are helpless, who just need, they trust because I can't satisfy myself, I can't help myself, It gives them courage to go to him, to persist, to really ask. I think what maybe gets under my skin about this, and maybe this is by design, why Jesus does this little demonstration for the Pharisees who are self-satisfied and think, oh, I deserve God's love. It's just because of who I am or what I do. I pay tithes and do this and that. Or the apostles, like, we're special. He chose us 12. We must be better, right? Can you get rid of this woman, please? That Jesus seems to orchestrate this question in all of our hearts, which is, what gives me value? What makes me important? What makes me worthy of love? Why am I not a nobody? Because this woman, she humiliates herself, but she knows she's not a nobody. She goes to Jesus. She knows it's her turn. I went... uh, Last week to the hospital, the children's hospital, Lurie's downtown, I got called for an anointing of the sick. There was a young man, 22, who was going into surgery. And um, when I got there, it was just him and his mother and then a few nurses. And he was crying, um, but crying like a little child. His name was Nathan, and he, he had um, autism, very severe autism. He was nonverbal. He was very handicapped, both physically and mentally. He was not wearing a shirt, and you could see he had this big scar down his chest. He'd had a heart transplant uh, a few years ago, and since his heart transplant, his mother told me he was bedridden. And he was just really uncomfortable. He had all these things on his fingers and plugs on his chest and things. He was getting evaluated and, and stuff, ready for surgery. And um, he, he was not happy. Um, but his mother was so pleased a, with him, but also B, that I was there. And she was talking about the last time the priest came to anoint Nathan and, 
Uh, last time he was sick and was, you know, in the hospital and needed surgery, uh, the priest from Holy Name Cathedral came, and, and she really wanted to get a video of me giving uh, Nathan the sacrament of the sick. And also, we got a picture at the end, and Nathan even smiled. It was pretty cool. Um, but I, I was looking on this, this young man and just realizing, like, how needy he was and how really he had nothing that he could produce or do to contribute to society, to his family. Um, and yet so much had been done, been done for him. You know, there were all these nurses and experts and people, surgeons and whoever gave their heart for him. Like, lots of people had made great sacrifices and given of themselves, and most of all his, his mother, for Nathan. Um, not because of anything he had done or could do, but simply because of who he was. And that moved me very deeply because I don't know him. I couldn't, I couldn't say, yeah, he's valuable. You know, I, I, he's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I don't know him well enough, but his mother certainly could show me. This is a beloved son in whom someone is well pleased, who someone is looking out for. Uh, yesterday, I was at the air show. I went with a friend of mine down to the beach and watched uh, the Thunderbirds or Thunderbirds go over. The, I guess that was maybe one of them. No, I think they're later in the day. And uh, at one point, I went out into the water just to get, like, because it's really crowded on the beach. I went out just a little bit into the water and was watching him fly over. And there was this kid, maybe 9 or 10 years old, like 10 or 15 feet away from me. And he just started screaming, Daddy! 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 <laughs> and I was looking back on the shore like, I don't know which one's his daddy. This is like thousands of people. But he knows which one is. And he knows that he's not looking at him. And, as soon, and then I heard, uh, he finally stopped and he goes, Look! And he's just pointing up at the plane. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, we know the planes are up there. Like, um, but I have to say, I was like, I know that feeling. You're just out here in this huge crowd of people. And you're looking up and you're, you're trying to like get in on what's going on here. But you, but you need connection. You need to be seen. You need someone who knows you to look at you and be like, yes, you're here. You're good. What is it that gives us value? It makes us important. When I heard that kid yelling, Daddy, I thought, of all the people who drive down the street with their windows down blaring music, like, that person needs attention, I think. Or all of us who take pictures of ourselves doing things that make us look cool and like we have active and interesting lives and then show them all to people, anonymous people on the internet being, hoping that someone will say like, good job, you're doing really good at life. Like we need this affirmation. We need to be seen somehow to know we have value. But, and this is the bad news, we can't give ourselves value. It's not something we can control. And that's what we see in the Canaanite woman and what maybe troubles me and you is that there, there's nothing I can do to prove I'm worth loving. But I have to just surrender to it. I have to entrust myself to one who loves me. We can't make anyone love us. But we are loved. This is what's so radical in the gospel. It's, it's not like Jesus is saying, like, some people are valuable and some people aren't. He looks at you and says, to me, you're more valuable than my own life. I'll give myself away. I'll die so that you can live. That's how much God loves us. That's how much you are loved. Whether you know it or not, whether it feels like that or not, whether it seems like Jesus is just being quiet, 
and that your needs are annoying and burdensome and you should just get over it. This is what I'll end with. Maybe what we can learn from this gospel, from this time with the Lord as we begin this new year, is that, A, Jesus is worth our time. It's worth the wait. What the Canaanite woman got when she waited, when she persisted, when she invested herself in the one who loves her, um, was something life-changing, transforming, something that no one else, including herself, could have given her. But it was worth the wait. And Jesus knows that you are worth his time, that he's, he's willing to wait with you. And this is where we learn in this place, in this chapel, in the Eucharist, but in this community, in the church, this is where we learn why we have value. That it's because of who we are. Beloved children, beloved sons and daughters. Not because of what we do, not because of how we are in comparison to other people, but because you're you. And God has created you for a purpose. He knows your name. He loves you. He's sustaining you and being, and he's calling you to himself to learn this truth and live out of it all the time.